Yeah, there's a book by Marcus Aurelius, Meditations. It's, you know, ultimately it's about living a moderate life, you know, living a life of moderation, not too high and extreme on both ends. You know, many of us have, uh, especially entrepreneurs like business. Welcome to The Flow, real estate and money show. For people in Canada looking to understand the home buying process, to demystify real estate investing, and to make mortgage financing accessible for anyone. The goal here on this show is to help people understand ways to make their money work for them, get in the market sooner, and realistically, completely open up the box on how mortgage financing works. I'm Alex McFadden, your host, and I can't wait to help get you into the flow. From lemonade stands to running one of the top brokerages in Western Canada, specifically the number one real estate brokerage in Vancouver. Today's guest talks about dealing with addiction, loss, becoming a realtor at 22 years old and facing 2008 adversity, why simplicity is the key to investing and what he would do if he had to go back to invest in real estate today. Today's guest is Michael Yu, one of the owners and co-founders of Oakwin Real Estate. If you haven't heard of them, you probably will. Coming in the next few years, they now have eight offices across the lower mainland and Vancouver Island, moving into the interior, and they are to be reckoned with. Michael comes on, talks about all of his history, his experiences, his past, and so much more. You're going to love this episode today because I absolutely did just sitting here and listening. We'll see you on the other side. All right, let's get back to it. So you're number one in Vancouver, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not messing around now. (laughs) And soon to be the world? Yeah, let's hope so. Yeah. There is no hope. Yeah. <laughs> I've learned that about you, Michael. You're very right. intentional. Uh, I am very intentional. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> awesome. Okay, let's cut back. Let's okay. cut back. It'll make a little bit more sense. Okay. All right, we got Michael Yuan, co-founder of Oakwind. We already gave him some information and props in the introduction, so we'll get right to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael, you're one of the most understated men I've met who has built a company of this magnitude and structure, a guy that we can share coffee and talk about ridiculous things. And, you know, the moment we met the first time would have been just over a year ago as an introduction. Uh, I I sense the the genuine nature of who you are. And and thank you for a lot of reasons. When people listen to this episode and have listened to this conversation today, I think a lot of people are just going to take away the fact that you are not just intentional and you've got a really interesting way of thinking about things, but you're a good dude. So thank you for taking the time to be here. I appreciate it. Thanks for the comments. I'm really good at receiving compliments. (laughs) No, (laughs) that about you i've noticed that about you that's a good thing really bad but i've learned to try to say thank you with those things no doubt so we we had to tell a little bit the origin story even with an introduction we have to talk about it a little bit here so by by trade you originally uh, were a real estate agent yes and so what year were you licensed uh, I was licensed in 2006. Yeah. Cool. Right. Two, 2006. Last year of university. Ooh. <laughs> so you were one of those 21 year old, 22 year old? Yeah. Old, I started when I was 20, 22, 23 years old. Yeah. Was, was it your first job? It wasn't my, it was probably my first real job. Like I've worked, I've worked my whole life. So since I was five or six years old with a lemonade stand, you know, and I worked in fast food, I worked in as a dishwasher, I have a house painter, I did some construction and yeah, I've worked my whole life, yeah. Okay, yeah. so we're going there already. Fantastic. 2022, you get your first real job. I'd like to know why you call that your first real job versus your previous ones. Yeah, it's because it was kind of a, like a step into a career, 
And so most people that start into real estate are transitioning from another career. I kind of chose it intent, well, kind of intentionally as a kind of a career path mm. for me. Yeah. After my dad died. So yeah. Mm. Yeah. was that, was that re- recently before that, that your dad passed? Yeah. So I, my dad died in my, in my third year of university. You know, my dad was an immigrant from the Philippines, didn't have much education. So he always wanted us to get educated. So he wanted, his dream for me was to be a lawyer. <laughs> so I was on that path. And then when he passed away, you know, I had three sisters, my grandparents, my mom. So I wanted to, I, I couldn't afford to go to law school anymore. So that's when I got my real estate license in my last year of university to like, you know, hope, hopefully help to provide for my family. And it was an awesome choice and I'm glad I did it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, so you went into a hundred percent commission with almost like a 10% success rate and said, <laughs> right. yes, I'm going to go into this sort of thing. Yeah. It's a good thing I didn't do too much studying. So <laughs> homework about it. I just, yeah. uh, I just jumped in head first. Yeah. Well, and looking yeah. back today, obviously it was a good decision. So you're pretty yeah. happy with that. I'm sure. Yeah. Let's, let's go back a little further sure. because you said that you were, you were working since you were, you were five years old. Yeah. So you did the lemonade stand thing. Right. You, what were some of the other things that you did? So I'm really close to my family. So I, I'm, one of five kids, you know, from my family. So I'm the middle child. Uh, I have two older, brilliant older sisters. I got a younger brother and a kid sister as well. And I'm the middle child. So yeah, we kind of, we grew up in a rental house in, in Vancouver, right on Oak Street. Hence our name, Oakwind. <laughs> and we grew up in a rental house on Oak Street. And we set up a lemonade stand right on Oak Street, my brothers and sisters and I. And we we did that all summer long for, you know, several summers. And yeah, it was, it was, business was booming. <laughs> I bet, I bet. Yeah, lemonade business is a good business. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. that. And did, did you set that up just because you were like, oh, we need to make a couple extra bucks? Was that? Yeah, I think because, you know, my parents gave us a lot of, like, gave us a lot of, you know, not a lot of material things, but a lot of you know, good, good lessons. So one of the lessons is nothing in this world is uh, given to you. You have to earn it. So uh, yeah, so we really, you know, from a young age, we kind of earned our own, tried to earn our own ways if we could. So yeah, mm. like we didn't have our RESPs or we didn't get any family support for our education. So we all had to carve our own path. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so, I mean, that's the a first big thing. So that's got to be a, a pivotal moment in your life where you were able to take that lesson that you mentioned, which is the earn it versus get it given to me right mm-hmm. now. And, you know, we obviously don't want to spill the beans on everything right sure. now. But if you think about that particular lesson in those moments and what you did around that time, is that something that you carry forward? into your life today? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, we're, we're, I, I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of my parents and my grandparents and the, you know, people that my family before me and, you know, anything that I ever do as a credit to, to, to the people that brought me up and my friends and family who support me now. And so I kind of take a, a more of a communal and that might be like an Eastern philosophy thing, like a more of a, a family focus uh, to, you know, think even finance and everything else. I, I kind of take that, you know, that attitude and that outlook. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which leads us to the question about sure. money. And this is a conversation that we'll have ongoing here. But if there's anything I've learned in conversations with people in different walks of life is sure. that everyone has a different attitude towards money and the impact that it's had in their life. And this can dictate what they do going forward, but also the happiness that they feel. Mm -hmm. So when you think about your life growing up, you had a rental house, you had five uh, siblings, you had, you know, your parents taught you, okay, you don't get things, but here's the lesson. Sure. And you think about where you're at today. What does money mean to you? Like, what Mm -hmm. what does it mean? You know, money to me, 
is it just provides freedom for for you to make decisions and choices that you'd like to make. I value freedom a lot and and kind of being able to help others and and see kind of raise the quality of life for my family is something that I see money being able to to do. So it it doesn't provide happiness, but you know, it just makes life a lot more free and easier to be able to 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 make choices that you want to make effectively. Yeah. Would you say that look at it? You personally have a good relationship with money? Yeah, I think I think so. You know, I, I've never, you know, I, I've always been like pretty modest. I've always been like the saver type, you know, and I, I've never lived beyond my means before. So and it because I knew that it didn't give me yeah, probably these are probably lessons of my dad. You know, my dad came here from the Philippines when he was 18 years old and they didn't have very much. He worked at a fast food restaurant for my, that was owned by my uncle. And, you know, basically I think he was very much like a wonderful, wonderful man. But, you know, I think he was always trying to prove himself to other, to maybe to himself or to other people. So he would, you know, having five kids, he would buy a Porsche, <laughs> living in a rental house, right? Uh, and kind of wear fancy suits and stuff like that. And so it was kind of an interesting dichotomy. So, you know, obviously as a child, we went through some highs and lows. So uh, with with our family finances. So, you know, my dad would later on, he got into commercial real estate, you know, in leasing and in development consulting and everything like that. So he'd have these phenomenally great years and we would live in like a great place and go on a vacation. And then, you know, and then the market would swing downwards and then it would be like, we're like renting a house, you know, that had some like, you know, vermin in it <laughs> type of thing. Not, not, it wasn't so bad. It was, you know, we, we had each other, we had our family, which is the most important thing, but you know, it, we had a lot of highs and lows and I kind of saw a lot of those highs and lows. And I kind of made a, a little bit of a internal promise to myself that I would never do that for myself personally, as a, I would try to be as responsible as I could for, for my own family and my own personal life. So yeah, mm. that's kind of, some probably some of the reasons why I, I kind of don't go out. I don't make it rain at the club or anything. <laughs> I'd love to see that. <laughs> yeah, I make it trickle. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that, I make it. What do they call it? Not not rain, but sprinkle. You sprinkle. You yeah. sprinkle. I make it I sprinkle that. at the club. <laughs> Another clip. Thank yeah. you. Uh, so I, and the truth is, everybody has their own feeling, and you're you're the yeah. you're, you have the right to feel how you feel based on your past and your history, and that's an interesting one. Obviously, one where you had a lot of extreme highs and a lot of extreme lows. Mm. So what I heard from you. Is is, uh, you didn't really love that extreme high or low. You were looking for something a little bit more yeah. steady. Yeah, there's a book by Marcus Aurelius, Meditations. It's, you know, ultimately it's about living a moderate life, you know, living a life of moderation, not too high and extreme on both ends. And I think, you know, many of us have, especially entrepreneurs like business people, have a the kind of an affinity towards living in extremes. So, you know, I try to live in the middle if I can, but for the most part, sometimes I succeed, sometimes I don't. So yeah. don't we all, don't yeah. we all. <laughs> right. All right. Well, let's bring it back to, sure. to your, to your journey. You, sure. you obviously uh, mentioned you entered into real estate yep. 2006, mm -hmm. lived through the fun of 2008. Uh, yeah. Which I wonder if right now, if you're feeling a little bit of or, or a few reminders or shockwaves, although we didn't hit, hit it as get hit as hard in Canada yeah. as the US. Right. 
Does the 2008 market or does does anything now remind you of that at all? Yeah, you know, obviously with the market activity being at where it's at, it, it does have some reminiscence of it, you know, obviously in a very different position. Actually, I think sometimes when you're a bit naive of things, it helps you <laughs> if in some cases. So when I was starting in real estate in 2006, I had a really hard time out of the gate for the first six months. I didn't make a sale. I was really struggling. I didn't have, you know, any resources. I felt that you know, I was, you know, maybe too young. I didn't have the network. And also I didn't have money to spend on in, uh, investing into marketing. And there wasn't social media at that back then, which was kind of free type of marketing. If So I was really, and then I kind of asked my brokerage at the time for support. And it was very, it wasn't very comprehensive. The education, the mentorship, the support wasn't really available to me. So yeah, so I kind of went to the library. I borrowed every book about how to be a good realtor. I read them cover to cover. I studied it like a course. And in my first calendar year in 2007 of being a realtor, I sold 53 homes. Wow. So I was the, my office's uh, rookie of the year. And I was the real estate board of greater Vancouver rookie of the year in 2000 and kind of and then 2008 hit. And then I remember the agents in the office who, you know, I, without naming names, there was a culture of like competition and really kind of like, you know, it was like passive, it was very passive aggressive. No one was really collaborating and sharing knowledge. They're like, they would, they would, there was some kind of uh, undertones of ageism and other things. And I, I'm a Chinese guy that doesn't speak Chinese. So there was a bit of like, you know, like different derogatory terms that were used, you know, uh, directed towards me. So it wasn't really... Say it is what it is, right? Yeah, it wasn't a great environment yeah. to, to be able to learn and grow. Sure. So, yeah. So, you know, they would tell me, the guys at the office would be like, well, you're, the, the, you know, your free ride is up, Mike. You know, you're gonna, you're not, you know, like... Now it's time, now it's time that, you know, it's the market's going to shut down. You better get another job. You better figure it out. And, you know, I, I think I had a bit of naive, like maybe I was a bit naive. So I always like to focus on things that are within my control. And so I focused really on, you know, developing great relationships, providing value for my clients and, you know, really providing great opportunities for people and seeing down markets as an opportunity is better than seeing it as a kind of doom and gloom. So yeah. I feel like I was probably the only positive realtor in 2008 <laughs> and I was maybe too optimistic about the a turnaround and I thought it would come, you know, because real estate's a long-term sure. thing. Yeah. So yeah, so it worked out really well. So I, I, in 2008, I sold more property than I did in 2007. Look at that. Yeah. So it's, just, yeah. it's, a, it's a, it is a mind state thing in many cases for, from a real estate agent perspective yeah. and also a higher perspective. Yeah, I think so. I think when people take a long-term you know, when they take a long-term approach to real estate and, and to investing or anything along those lines, I think that that's the wisest decision because it's not a short-term asset. It's a long-term asset. So, you know, I think making decisions for the long-term is is what people should do in real estate. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you had a huge 2007, bigger 2008, dealt with ageism, let's call it what it is, racism, other things like that, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Jerks. Uh, <laughs> not nice people. Not nice people. Yeah. It wasn't long after that, and we're obviously skipping some stuff here, but you made a decision to start your own company. Yeah, so I made a decision in, in 2013 to start our own brokerage. So, you know, I'm one of the co-founders of a company called Open Realty. So we're, so we've been open for 10 years. It's been a great ride. So yeah, that was a, 
it was a bit of a pivot point personally and for my family, but also just uh, in what I saw with what was available in the real estate market yep. for brokerage options for for good you know quality agents. So yeah, so I thought there was a gap there that was missing, and so basically the intention wasn't to. The intention was actually just to have an office that we would love to work in ourselves because we were running a thriving real estate team. You know, my so I, you know, as soon as my first year was finished in 2007, I needed a lot of help because, you know, we, you know, had, you know, we're really fortunate to be able to bring on a lot of listings and clients. So I got my brainiac older sister Arlene <laughs> who's smarter and better and more charming and wonderful than me so she she I asked her to start working with me so she her and I worked together in harmony since 2007 2008 working in resales so yeah we we built a really great team we we're selling you know roughly a hundred ish homes a year between the two of us and our assistant so the three of us would would sell in that kind of range of volume. And then, yeah, so we, we were running a really great team. We just wanted a great environment for us to practice where we could be open. We could learn from each other. We learn from other people. They always say you can't grow on an island. So I really wanted to surround myself with great people. So that's where it started. So we started with the office with just me and my sister, two of us. I remember hanging up our business license and Arlene asking me, so what next? And I just said, well, now we build the best brokerage in the city. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. this was, you know, when we were in less than a thousand square feet above a cupcake shop, cool. you know, just, uh, yeah, with Ikea furniture and Able Auctions, you know, filing cabinets and <laughs> whatever it takes. Yeah. Man. And that's how we started. Yeah. Gained a couple pounds that year with the cupcakes, I'm sure. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. So yeah. you start the brokerage and... Sure. I hate to fast forward anything because this sure. is okay. This is so tough. But I do want to understand there were some things that occurred. So you're selling, you know, your 50 homes. You're doing it for your family. You move forward. You're now selling 100 plus homes. You're working with your sister, which that can be very tar- hard for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So good for you for doing well, that. I'm lucky. It's hard for her, but easy for me. <laughs> yeah, there you, there you go. So yeah. it's hard for somebody in that relationship. Right. And, and it was only five years in that you started your own brokerage because you yeah. wanted something a little better out there, right? right. So there's, always, there's usually like a selfish reason, but there's always a generosity to it, right? And that's where longevity comes through is, hey, I actually mm-hmm. want to offer something, but selfishly, I want to learn from all you guys, mm-hmm. which is okay. So you were able to transition to starting this brokerage. Mm-hmm. At what point did you, during this brokerage journey, at what point during this journey did you realize that it wasn't just about starting a brokerage that I can learn from people, but there's this this culture thing because mm-hmm. that's what you talk about all day, every single day. Right. When I hear you or see you, mm-hmm. unless you talk, is you're always promoting that culture, 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 culture. Mm-hmm. So like, where did that fit in? Where did that come in? I think it's so important, the people that you surround yourself with and the environment that you're in. I think that that's something that's really key to 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 improve your own quality of life. So I think that that was a big, you know, reason why we wanted to create like a, a really giving, you know, people first oriented culture mm. that started with developing really clear core values from our, within our company. Yep. So that was something that we did from day one. There was a book that I read, I think it's called Delivering Happiness, Tony Shea's book by Zappos. And I, it just really, you know, helped us to nail down exactly what we wanted to accomplish in terms of, you know, being a measure of, 
transformation in an agent's life or in a business person's life from the inside out. So it's really from creating a great core value system that everyone abides by, everyone follows within the company, personally and professionally. And then that bleeds into building the right culture, which is the right, you know, tone and theme within within our within our environment and within our people so you know i'm the most proud of when you know an agent or a broker owner comes to me and says you know we love working with your people your people are the best they're you know they're transparent they put people first they're you know pillars of the community they really look for solutions they're yeah so mm. all those types of things so we have all of our seven core values you know on each wall of every office that we're in they're on the first page of our of our website as well and we really try to live and breathe those core values and when uh, an agent can't it doesn't feel comfortable with either any of them. It's just not the right fit, you know. And so for us, we're really big on making sure that we're working with the right people. And we built a bit of a, you know, a cult following with Oakwin. So over a 10-year span, starting with zero, one agent, me, uh, you know, we've grown over 700 agents now throughout BC. And we're just opening our eighth office, you know, in Victoria. So, you know, it's it's really exciting times. And what really inspires me is, you know, is working with great people and just seeing these communities being built and the culture and the values being kind of shared through the through every agent that we have at the company. And that's something that, like, I just, it just makes me so excited for the next 10 years and the 10 years after and 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 so on yeah so it's exciting and we've seen the growth from the outside yeah. anybody who's seen the lower mainland and you're going to see oakland a lot everywhere going forward mm-hmm. because i know there's some expansion plans that you right. you've got under mind yeah bringing that back to what you you discussed as far as your your core values towards money and the feelings that you had sure you know, behind any uh, business person is there are there are business decisions to be made around money investments things of that nature that allow you right. to do what you're hoping to do. I'd love to for you to put some of your personal slash professional light on sure. just how you look at in, in making investments sure. yourself for your, either right. your personal uh, financial portfolio and real estate portfolio. Right. Do you have any core principles that you follow and, and what yeah. you look for? Um, so I'm a big proponent of uh, simplicity mm-hmm. and I think people overcomplicate things. And, you know, from what everything I've read and everything I've learned specifically for entrepreneurs and business people, you know, it boils down to two main things. It's a net profit of your business and net worth of you as an individual. So we're working on those two kind of weights and measures. So, you know, what we try to do is we invest in our business with time, energy and some resources to be able to derive a higher net profit within our within our business operations and then transferring that net profit you know, minus your lifestyle to to your net worth. So I, I am the most simple, basic person you'll ever meet. So basically, I just divide it into, you know, I divide it into th- my bank. I have three bank accounts. I have a operating account that holds three to six months or in my case, six months of expenses in, in that float in there. I have a tax account for because I love Canada and I want to contribute to <laughs> my fair share. <laughs> and so that, so I never want to get, you know, and that's always in a GIC or something like that. And a third is any net worth projects that I have. So that's in, you know, that's in stocks, that's in real estate. Primarily, I'm like 99 or 95% real estate besides RSPs and TFSAs. You know, that's kind of the primary kind of 
philosophy that I that I typically take around finances. So I take a try to take a really simplistic one, and uh, you know you know just try to build that net profit within the business because that's what I have most control over, and then make great choices within your net worth. So that's in buying real estate and being really you know. I believe in real estate. There is an old book by Pearl Buck called A Good Earth. It's a novel. It's a fictional novel. But it's, you know, I love real estate. Uh, I think it's the best vehicle for people to to build long-term wealth. It's a high predictor of a uh, vast majority of people's net worth is tied within the real estate of their primary residence. But I think if you start investing in small rental properties to begin and then you scale those up, you know, really the, the sky's the limit once you kind of, you know, build that you know, build that system. Yep. Yeah. So, so you, you've got your three sections that you invest into, which you shared and you believe in real estate mm-hmm. to make it personal. What was your first investment? So my first investment was, so it was, it was funny. When I first got started in real estate, I drove an old beat up van and <laughs> that I bought from my mom's friend for a thousand dollars. And it was an old van. And I, Kind of had it from a point of pride, and this is because I think everyone has elements of pride. I always want to be the first one in the office and the last one to leave. Like, I wanted to be that guy uh, when I was first getting started in real estate. So I parked my van right in front of the office. (laughs) And all the agents in the office would make fun of me. They would be like, Michael, get that hunk of junk off of a parking lot. It's making us look bad. We have to bring clients here. And then your hunk of junk is stand is there. So, so when I started making sales, I remember one of the agents in the office was like, Mike, I'm going to take you to lunch. And I was like, take me to lunch? Oh, sure. And this was one of the top agents of the office. And he drove me directly to the BMW. <laughs> and he's like, Mike, your first investment in real estate is to get a lease for to you know to get a lease on a BMW cuz I'm sick and tired of looking at that hunk of junk. <laughs> and I remember fighting with uh, the the guy that brought me. I was like, I'm not like going to sink my money into a lease to drive a car. I I haven't bought a condo yet. So my first investment was a condo. I bought a condo at 9180 Hemlock Drive in Richmond, unit number 501. I bought that condo. You know, I can't remember. Yeah, it was my very first residence I ever got. And I, you know, I love that property. And it it was just, it had granite counters and stainless steel appliances. And it was on the same floor as the gym because I was going to get in shape. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I I bought a condo with my, that was my very first investment. I saved every penny that I had from real estate to buy that condo. And it was, yeah, I just started my real estate investment journey. And then I bought a condo in a small condo in a rough area of downtown in Gastown. And I rented that one out. And then, you know, subsequently I bought quite a number of other properties. And, you know, I just started small with what was affordable the small condos and then I scaled up to you know detached homes and and then commercial property and then now into multifamily and and other commercial properties so yeah so it's but it started with me buying these small you know 200 and 300 thousand dollar condos and you know and that's how it started and you know and I'm really uh, I'm happy I got started when I was very young yeah so yeah it worked out well so, so through that journey, so it, it was like a snowball effect, obviously mm-hmm. you pick up one, then you pick up the next one sure. and then you start to eliminate that fear and that fear starts to, to go away, I imagine. But you, you just fast forward us from buying that, that beautiful story about that first condo sure. to, to, oh, I got into detached and I got into, you know, commercial multifamily. Sure. 
we want to hear about that, Michael. Like, uh, sure. tell us how, when you look, so after that first, if you can think back into that position, what were some of the things that you were looking for when you were picking up your few properties mm-hmm. that you would do differently today? You know, uh, I probably would have bought more because I'm very risk averse. So okay. I like to, I like to feel very comfortable. I don't, I don't work well under pressure. And just, I think knowing yourself is really important. If you, I, I don't work well under pressure. You don't want me to take the last shot of any game because it's not going to go in. <laughs> like I'm very, you know, I'm not a pressure player. I, I'm very methodical and can kind of systematic. So basically, you know, if I was to, I set really clear targets. So I took a course, an old course a long time ago with about goal setting and, uh, you know, setting up five-year plans or lifetime plans. So I kind of really segmented my life in, in five-year chunks. And so I knew what I wanted to accomplish by the time I was 25, by the time I was 30, by the time I was 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60. So I've kind of mapped it out. And, and basically, you know, if we were to go back about the net profit versus net worth it, it's basically I have uh, net worth targets and kind of within, within those net worth targets I have what kind of assets I want to own mm. and then net profit as well like what kind of net profit targets do I have to relate to the net worth so it's pretty logical it's pretty but I am very risk averse so I am I tend to err on the side of caution so if I was to redo it over again I would probably be less cautious I turned down a lot of opportunities that I could have made a lot of money in but you know ultimately if it put me under pressure and it made my you know family at risk I I tend to not go with it like I could have bought a property on right on Canby Street when they were building, you know, in the Canby corridor and now it's a high rise site, I could have bought that duplex, but I was like, you know, I just, you know, I don't know how, how I'm going to do in the next three to six months. Like maybe it's not the right decision and I didn't buy it. And so yeah. if, if you were to go and jump over to, sure. to young Michael or someone right now in this position, right. you know, knowing costs are greater, there are some more challenges, but yeah. there's still always opportunities. If you were to go talk to somebody and let's say you only had uh, 30 seconds to a minute how would you just dis- distill the advice what would you say to that person to get them off the fence to make that decision what would they look for i think for young people now they're very external so they look for external validation they look for external like you know external things on social media and you know comparing themselves to others like that's something that i feel is very toxic so what i would say is that discover what you're really good at and what really makes you happy and know that as a kind of a source, as your kind of eternal source of energy and what that means to you and kind of know what that specifically is and use that for the betterment of your business and for the betterment of the people that are around you. So you want to, so discovering that first is, is the most important thing. And then the next steps are, you know, making really quality decisions that don't feed your ego, but really feed that, feed that your, your true self and what's important for your true self versus your ego because I feel like a lot of people get trapped in in you know their perception of themselves versus like really what makes them happy I know what makes me happy it's you know when my family is spending great time together and they're not they're free of worry and pain and and in good health that's what gives me the most joy and and you know if I can contribute to that then I I am like 10 out of 10 
happy as a clam. I don't need anything. I don't need fancy clothes. I don't need fancy shoes. I don't need fancy cars. I don't need fancy real estate. I don't need fancy anything. As long as I know my family is, is, is happy and living a high quality of life, then that, that, that makes me like a very happy person. So, yeah. So I think knowing, knowing what, you know, what is going to motivate you is, is something that's, that, that is key for, for young people now. Yeah. Because I think, you know, it's a real thing. Yeah. You know, seeing what other people are doing and the, the comparison we I've had another person in this chair here who shared with me that often what stops his friends and people that he knows, he's a younger guy mm-hmm. uh, from getting into the marketplace is simply looking at the fancy things that other people have. And well, you have to rent that because of the cost associated with it. Mm-hmm. But if you're willing to take a step back and, and buy that older home that needs the fix up work and hang out there for five to seven years, mm-hmm. then you can get so much further ahead so so you you suggested that advice and that's great advice for anyone for mm-hmm. that matter no matter whether you're 20 or, or 60 mm-hmm. i think people that are in you know in their 40s 50s 60s still have to discover what makes them happy right. and that's what makes people generally speaking not happy in life mm-hmm. is because they don't know and it is a constant discovery if we were to switch gears a little bit and we were to talk about things purely from an investment perspective if we were to mm-hmm. just jump into that sure. side of things and say you said there were a lot of decisions that i well you've made a decision obviously because you mm-hmm. opted not to go forward with it but you, you said there were a lot of things that you wish you had done if you had the choice you would have gone back and buy more mm-hmm. at the time so you've got someone in front of you who is thinking or maybe in a position where they could do that but they're just not sure how could they get off the fence and make that decision? Well, I think, you know, people think, so people think timing is everything and, you know, everything is relative, but, you know, everything is relative. So even though the cost of this real estate was, you know, 20 years ago, half the price or a third of the price, costs are all relative, you know, and so basically, you know, to understand the concept of, you know, buying really good valued assets is, is something that's important. So taking a, you know, Making sure that they're taking a long-term perspective to to their investment is is really key and important. To get someone off the fence, I think people are ready when this is like my wife and my the back of my because <laughs> I'm a very logical person, a very rational person, and my wife is very spiritual and very like meant to be. She's yeah. So you know, it's, I think it's when it's meant to be, it will be. You know, for for people, and sometimes if you're not ready for it, you don't want to force someone when they're not ready. Like I, I I think that goes against even if it might be the best decision for them, because they won't be ready to kind of accept. They're maybe not ready to accept the responsibility. Maybe they're not ready to 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 do it at this time of their life. So I think everything is has a meant to be aspect to it as well. Mm, yeah, that's good. So if we were to dig deep, which we I think we have, we dig deep on this this question, which is, have you heard of the term shadow side? No, the shadow no, no. What's shadow? What's shadow oh, side? I'm man. excited. I, I love a... comics and oh man, like the Dark Knight. <laughs> oh, maybe it is the Dark. Okay, you got Batman okay. and the Dark Knight, right? The Dark yeah. Knight in the comics, I think, is his his. It's his like angry side, right? The, the, yeah, is. the Dark Knight is Batman. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, maybe I'm thinking yeah. of something. Right I don't know the comics that well. Okay, okay. so, so <laughs> I do. <laughs> Fortunately or unfortunately, <laughs> this guy is the guy you want to call when it comes to comics. I know you're a Marvel guy. Um, yeah. So uh, where I was going to go with that is like 
everybody faces this internal battle as something that they don't want to share with people, the, the dark side of themselves. But the truth is, when you come to terms with that dark side of who you are, and you let that out, then people actually come to you, they gravitate towards you, because they want to be with someone who's not perfect. Mm. They want to be with someone who has some part of their life that maybe not broken, but is 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 healing or mm-hmm. needs to be healed. Right. You know, I, I shared early in my podcast journey that I had, and up until today, I'm still dealing with it, an awful opinion and view of money. It was mm. it was scarce. There wasn't enough of it. It you know it, it made me angry growing mm. up. I wasn't in a, in a positive position. Mm. So so in your life, as it relates to your business, your personal or investments, mm-hmm. is there something that that you has maybe that's behind you that's been on your shoulder that's held you back that uh, that you've overcome or are working to overcome mm. that you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, it's you know everyone has a kryptonite. Everyone has a you know you know, a nemesis. And so, yeah, it's really, it's really hard to identify exactly the, the things that have held me back in the past. You know, I would probably say, yeah, I'd probably say I have a bit of a, like, and this is probably why I talk so much about moderation is because I, I come from a long line of addicts. So, you know, my, grandfather on my dad's side died of liver cirrhosis from alcoholism. My father died of his smoking and drinking at a young age. My dad died when he was 49 years old. So, you know, and I kind of have a bit of that addictive personality. I try to be addicted to positive things. So, but, you know, I have that, I have that gene. And so I have to continue to remind myself to, and that's probably why I trend to reading things and when it comes to moderation and living a middle path. So yeah, I would probably say like, you know, I have, I have this ability to go to be extra. Like my wife always calls me like, you're so extra with everything. Like you try so hard with everything. And, and I, and that's kind of part of my, part of my DNA. It's part of my nature. So I think that does, you know, Caused me to also get very disappointed at certain things. And, and I do, I don't, I get more disappointed in myself. I kick myself a lot when I make big, when I make bad decisions, you know, I tend to be a little bit overly trusting of people. So I have a bit of naivety to me. So like, yeah, so, you know, yeah, so there's some, there's some elements there. So, you know, those are some things that have held me back in the past. You know, I, I have to be really conscious of that because yeah, because I think it could lead to my demise, <laughs> you know, like like many a superhero. <laughs> Fair point. Yeah. I think, well, first of all, thank you for that. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. Your the vulnerability is, I can sense it. I can feel it. It's real. Nothing oh. that was that was made up. And I, I appreciate you sharing that because obviously yeah. that's, a, that's a, something that can be deep. And you turn something that, as we mentioned, is a shadow, the dark side, something that happened, the addiction where it obviously can cause a lot of destruction into into something that's more positive and influential. Try you know, try to, but you know, I think everyone everyone has their weaknesses and yeah. and knowing what those are is a good thing because you can actually you, you don't want to have your head in the sand when it comes to, you know, where your weak spots are. You want to build I'm a big believer in building systems or teams around around you to help to to correct those things. So, yeah, and yeah. I appreciate that. Right. 
it's a, it is a really important thing to hear because I hear consistently from people who are on a starting path of their careers or changing careers or looking up to some type of uh, quote unquote successful person in whatever industry they're in. And they think that most of these people are pretty fallible like, or they don't have any issues. Mm-hmm. They don't have any challenges. They don't have any emotional struggles where the reality is, is we're really just facing the same challenges at different levels and we've learned how to attack them differently yeah. in many circumstances mm-hmm. and situations. So yeah, we're all human. It. We're all human. You know, even our favorite heroes have, you know, you only see the one side. Yeah. Like, you know, you're only seeing this like highlight reel and Instagram life that people live. And that's not the reality. The reality is that we're all you know, we're all fallible and we all have our weaknesses and our strengths and good days and bad days. But, you know, ultimately it's about, you know, surrounding yourself with great people and, and, you know, living a, a happy existence that doesn't hurt others. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I heard some good themes here and we went way off base of real estate. Sure. Really yeah. Appreciate. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I only have, I, I've got a few rapid fire questions that I want, sure. I want to hear what you have to say. Okay. Sounds what's, good. What's the best investment you ever made? Oakwin. Yeah. Starting Oakwin. Cool. Yeah. What is your What is your biggest investment regret? Not buying enough real estate. <laughs> okay. Perfect. When yeah. you go out tomorrow and you go and analyze some type of a property, what is the one thing, if there's one thing, because there's usually an end thing that that allows you to hit that "let's go" button? I would probably say just my like just reviewing my own personal you know finances, make sure I can afford it and we can be responsible with it. Yeah, where you're at. Yeah. And what do you think is the one thing that stops people the most from making a good investment decision mm-hmm. or an an indecision at all? Right. I think it's probably a lack of the a lack of the knowing the facts and and you know knowing kind of. And not thinking about about the long term impacts of doing things, and thinking about it in the short term. Yeah, mm, yeah, that's good, Michael. You're a good reminder of the thoughtfulness that's required oh. in in real estate, but you're also a good reminder of the importance of simplicity, as you mentioned before. Yeah, and that's a you know I can't hammer that home enough. Like you know, people make things so complicated, and they're not very complicated. Like you know, you know, if you want to be <laughs> yeah, I think you can be a little bit in the weeds and you can get super detailed, but it, it always typically boils down to one or two things. It's kind of like, you know, I have a friend that's really in great shape and he's just like, Mike, it's diet and exercise. That's <laughs> like, it. That's yeah. it. <laughs> like nothing else. And, and like, so it's, no yeah, magic yeah pills. there's no magic pills, like diet exercise. You can do all the little things, but it's just those two things. And then if you take care of those, you'll be in good shape. I'm like that makes a lot of sense to me. So I love, that. I love <laughs> yeah. that. All right. And what's next for Oakland? What should people look, be looking out for? So yeah, we're, we're expanding our company. So we want to, you know, deliver great value to our agents that we have currently. That's the number one thing we do that we want to do the most is just provide better services for our agents out in the marketplace. And by providing better services to our our agents, our agents, we want them to serve the general public, the buyers and sellers in the marketplace at a higher level, better communication, better marketing, better professionalism within the within the field. So hopefully the public benefits from Oakland being being existing. And so we're just going to grow our company from the inside out, one agent at a time, working really closely with them. And, uh, you know, just how we built our business is primarily through referrals. So, you know, so we basically build our, our business through recommendations of our agents saying, Hey, you got to check out our office. We are doing things in a different way. So yeah, that's kind of how 
we approach it. And yeah, so we're, we're going to be growing our company, you know, intentionally, you know, using our, you know, good, good structures. And we have great, we have great people like, and I haven't talked about our staff and the people at our company are some of the most lovely and amazing people you'll ever meet. Everyone in our conveyancing department, our accounting department, our front of house, our uh, managing broker teams, you know, our accountants, like everyone is just so lovely and we all follow our same core values. And, uh, you know, and I'm just looking to grow our staff too, um, to work with great people and, and help to continue to, to see their, be a part of their career journeys. And it's, they, they almost feel like family to me too. So we're very protective of them. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, love it's that. great. Yeah. Well, to your so success, well. Michael. Thank oh, you so thank much. Thank you so much, on. Alex. Thank you for having me. It's so, so fast and so quickly. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. short and sweet. That was an unreal episode of The Flow. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did on my side right here. If you haven't already done so, make sure to check out all of the incredible resources that we have available. You can find us on Instagram at Flow Mortgage Co. You can find us on our website, getflowmortgage.ca. And of course, don't forget our free first time homebuyer masterclass that's currently available on our website for anyone who listens to the episodes. And if you loved what you listened here today, the only thing that we ask for is to share this with someone else that you think this could help. And hey, maybe leave us a great review online.